Hello, this is Gary Hutchins with the Sunny Slope Church of Christ in Omaha, Nebraska. Welcome to our Sunday morning Bible class. We're podcasting a Bible class every Sunday morning at 9.30 and also every Wednesday evening at 6.30 for those who cannot be with us at the building at the Sunny Slope Church of Christ. Also for those who are listening in other parts of the country and literally around the world. Now, if you're in the Omaha area, we encourage you to come and be with us in person. Our church building is located at 3606 North 108th Street, 3606 North 108th Street in Omaha. Our Bible classes begin on Sunday morning at at 9.30, followed by worship at 10.30, and on Wednesday evenings, midweek Bible classes at 6.30 each Wednesday evening. Now, you're welcome to any and all of these services, and we encourage you to come and get to know us, let us get to know you, and let's study God's Word and grow spiritually together. We want to help you. We encourage you to share these short studies with everybody you can. You can do that through Facebook friends, text messages, and other technological means. But you know people in your life who need to get into God's Word. They need to turn their lives around. They need to start thinking about their soul's salvation and eternity, because it's coming. Faith comes by hearing the Word of God, Romans 10 and verse 17. So help them grow in their faith. Help them come closer to God. Help them maybe even get to heaven by sharing these studies with them. Share with your family members, your friends, your work associates, your neighbors, with literally everybody you can all the time. Also encourage people to go to our website at churchofchrist.com, churchofchrist.com. Scroll down the homepage to our podcast button, click on that, and sign up for our podcasting. We emphasize it is free. It always will be free. We're not after people's wallets. We want to help people get to heaven. When someone signs up for a podcasting, they will automatically receive to their smart device, whether that's their smartphone or computer or laptop or pad or tablet or whatever it might be, they will automatically receive these Sunday morning Bible classes, Wednesday night Bible classes, all of our sermons, and they will receive what I really believe is a wonderful, short, about a 13-minute Bible class each day called today's Bible class, seven days a week. And they'll also receive our Monday through Friday daily radio program, Search the Scriptures. All of that will go automatically to their smart device, and it'll be free. Now, while at our website at churchofchrist.com, they can download and listen to hundreds of sermons. And many of those are now posted in video format as well as audio. They can also download and read and study through hundreds of articles that are biblically based and spiritually focused. And again, all of that is free. Tremendous, regular Bible study resources right there at somebody's fingertips. Encourage them to take advantage of this opportunity to grow in their knowledge of God's Word. We're going to get back into our study from the book of Exodus. And as we have studied through Genesis and most of Exodus now, we have uh, skipped over some of the detailed description of various laws that God, spiritual laws that is, that God was giving to the Israelites through Moses. 
we went all the way to chapter 32, and we talked. We we began studying about the weakness in faith. Maybe we should say the lack of diligent faith, determined faith on the part of many of the Israelites when Moses went up on Mount Sinai to receive the law, the Ten Commandments from God. And so he had been gone for several weeks. The people did not see him in his physical presence among them. And so their faith weakened and they prevailed upon, it doesn't sound like it took very much prevailing, upon Aaron, Moses' brother, to manufacture a golden calf for them and also an altar on which the calf could be mounted. And so they called that their God. Interesting, interesting. Um, in verse, in verse uh, 4 of chapter 32, he, and he, that is Aaron, received the gold from their hand and he fashioned it with an engraving tool and made a molded calf. Then they said, they said, not Aaron, but they said, this is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. So when Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, tomorrow is a feast to the Lord. A feast to the Lord? You've just manufactured an idol. And now you say it's going to be a feast to the Lord? Well, God knew exactly what was going on. And so he told Moses to get on down there because the people are in turmoil. The people are straying from faithfulness in me or to me. And so Moses goes down. When Moses saw that the people were unrestrained, for Aaron had not restrained them, to their shame among their enemies, then Moses stood at the entrance of the camp and he said, whoever is on the Lord's side, come to me. And all the sons of Levi gathered themselves together. And then Moses said, thus says the Lord God of Israel, let every man put his sword on his side, that is all who were coming to him, all the tribe of Levi, let every man put his sword on his side and go in and out from entrance to entrance throughout the camp and let every man kill his brother, every man his companion, and every man his neighbor. So the sons of Levi did according to the word of Moses, and about 3,000 men of the people fell that day. Those who did not come to Moses, those who were still uh, committed to worshiping that image that Aaron had manufactured with his own hands, that golden calf. How sad. And so I talked about the weakness of the faith of many of the Israelites at that time and the fickleness of humanity. We can, we can make a determination in our mind, I believe this, I'm going to do this at one moment, and then virtually at the, you know, the turn of a coin, so to speak, we can change our minds. We can not follow through. We can decide something completely opposite. I did point out how it was interesting that when Moses confronted Aaron, Aaron, he just, he said, you know, I just threw the gold in the fire and this calf jumped out, basically is what he, how, how he tried to put it, like he wasn't responsible. Well, Moses held, held him responsible and certainly God held him, held him responsible and, uh, a great many of the Israelites fell that day. It's interesting, too, and I pointed out that the tribe of Levi would become the priestly tribe. And even though Aaron 
had failed so miserably to maintain his kind of joint leadership and and not Moses was the leader among the people God appointed him as such but Aaron was his spokesman and Aaron should have kept the people encouraged and basically in line while Moses was up in the mountain uh, conversing with God and receiving from God the law well the spiritual law and so Aaron failed in, in, on that account he failed in that way and yet, in spite of that, I believe we're to understand that he repented and ultimately he became the, for the first high priest of the Israelites. Now, in chapter 33, beginning with verse 1, the Lord said to Moses, the Lord said to Moses, depart and go up from here, you and the people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt to the land of which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, to your descendants I will give it. Now this was the land of promise, or the promised land, as it's referred to oftentimes. But it's geographically what was the land of Canaan. And God had promised this land to Abraham through his descendants. Abraham never owned a foot of property within the land of Canaan himself, with the exception of the cave of Machpelah, and I believe the field around that cave, and in that cave he used as a burial place for his wife, Sarah. Now, it became a burial place for some other wives of, of renowned leaders among the descendants of Abraham as well, but he never owned that land just a very, very tiny portion of it. But God promised that through his descendants, he would give this land to his descendants, to his, his bloodline. Now, that would not be fulfilled, however, for many hundreds of years. All right, now, in Egypt, as the descendants of Abraham, through Isaac and Jacob and his sons, as those descendants, as they resided in Egypt for about 400 years or so, they grew in population, in number, to become, by, by, by number, a mighty nation, about one to three million people probably. And so now God leads them through, through Moses out of the land of Egypt to Mount Sinai, and God begins shaping and molding them into a people or into a nation. He gives them his spiritual law that is to guide them and govern them as they live in faithfulness before him and serving him. All right, it's time for them to take possession of this promised land. Now, they're going to have to fight some battles in order to conquer that land and possess it, but God, God's going to promise them I'll go before you. I'll give you the victory. I'll give you victory after victory after victory. But now you need to do what I'm going to tell you to do. You either destroy the people of that land or else drive them out. Have nothing to do with them because they're idol worshipers. They will lead you away from faithfulness to me if you start interacting with them and marrying, you know, having your sons marry their wives and having their their sons marry your wives, they're going to pull you away from me. Now, God warns them that. And he says, if you do that, and that's what happens, then I'm going to punish you. 
Well, that's down the road some, but now he tells Moses to lead the people out of the wilderness, away from Mount Sinai. God's people are to be active in their obedience to him, in their faithfulness to him, in their serving him. Remember what Jesus told the apostles as he was ready to ascend back into heaven. In Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20, he told them, go, therefore. And, and, and the idea there, I think more literally is, as you are going, make disciples of all the nations. In other words, teach the gospel everywhere. Make followers, lead people to become Christians, followers of me. Make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the age of the world. Amen. And as Mark records that great commission, again, the first word, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature or to all creation, all of humanity. He who believes and is baptized shall be saved. He who does not believe shall be condemned. God's people are to be active. Okay, so God, through Moses, has led them out of Egypt to, the, to, to uh, Mount Sinai, he's given them the law, and now God says to Moses, now lead them to the promised land. Again, God's people are to be active in service and obedience and dedication to him. Faith that is not working faith is dead faith. James chapter 2, verses 17, 20, 22, 26 Repeatedly, James emphasizes that. Faith without works is dead. God's people are supposed to be active in their faithfulness and dedication to him, serving him, obeying him, living for him continually and consistently. So the Lord said to Moses, depart and go up from here, you and the people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt, to the land of which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, to your descendants, I will give it. Okay, it's time to go possess that land. And I will send my angel before you, and I will drive out the Canaanite and the Amorite and the Hittite and the Perizzite and the Hivites and the Jebusites, those who already occupied that land that God promised to Israel through, or to Abraham through his descendants. And now it is Israel, the Israelites, go up to a land flowing with milk and honey. What a great description of the bounty of that land that God is prepared to give to his people now. Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey, for I will not go up in your midst lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. Now, again, they've just demonstrated that by instigating Aaron to manufacture that golden calf and then calling it their God and worshiping it. So God, but he's giving them another chance. Okay, there's been repentance in the camp, I think we're to understand. There's been a cleansing. About 3,000 men have died, been executed. All right, so in verse 4, when the people heard this, when the people uh, heard this bad news, they mourned and no one put on his ornaments. What bad news? You're a stiff-necked people. 
For the Lord had said to Moses, Say to the children of Israel, You are a stiff-necked people. I could come up into your midst in one moment and consume you. Okay, and consume you. Therefore, take off your ornaments. Take off your ornaments, your jewelry. Take off your ornaments. And therefore, take off your ornaments that I may know what to do to you. So the children of Israel stripped themselves of their ornaments by Mount Horeb. And I wonder if we're to understand that there was a deeper meaning to these ornaments and jewelry that they were wearing. Interesting. But they understood this was part of a warning, a rebuke from God. He identified them as being stiff-necked, hard-headed, hard-hearted, a lack of determined faithfulness to him and dedication. And so they took off their ornaments. They mourned, verse 4, because God had pronounced this particular rebuke upon them. In verse 7, Moses took his tent and pitched it outside the camp, far from the camp, and called it the tabernacle of meeting. Now, what does the word tabernacle mean? Essentially, tent, okay? Remember that for hundreds of years before they before Solomon built a physical temple to God, there was the tabernacle. It was a tent that was kind of... Uh, portable. It could be taken down and moved and then put back up. And it was not a tent like we think of as maybe two people going camping and then, you know, laying inside sleeping for the night with very little room to do anything else. But we're talking about a huge tent and it served as a place of worship and a focus of God's presence by the, for the people. So, Moses took his tent, pitched it outside the camp, far from the camp, and called it the tabernacle of meeting. And it came to pass that everyone who sought the Lord went out to the tabernacle of meeting, which was outside the camp. So it was whatever Moses, or whenever Moses went out to the tabernacle, that all the people rose, and each man stood at, the, at his tent door and watched Moses until he had gone into the tabernacle. Now they had great respect and reverence, I think we could understand, for Moses in the capacity that God had put him in, and that is as God's spokesman and to and leader of the people. And so when Moses would pass by to go out to the tabernacle of meeting, uh, the people would rise up and they'd, they'd stand in their tent, their own tent doors or entrances. And so it came to pass when when Moses entered the tabernacle, that the pillar of cloud descended and stood at the door of the tabernacle, and the Lord talked to Moses, or talked with Moses. Now, the pillar of cloud symbolized God's presence. And all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the tabernacle door, and all the people rose and worshipped, each man in his tent door. Well, they were learning. They were learning. They were showing evidence of their repentance for the grievous unfaithfulness that they had exhibited in worshiping that golden calf and calling it their God. 
So the Lord spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend, and he would return to the camp, but his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, did not depart from the tabernacle. Interesting. Joshua here is a young man. He would become General Joshua, basically, later, leading the the war the, the the men, the warriors who the men who had become warriors of Israel in battle as they would face enemies going through the wilderness, and ultimately he would lead them in battle and become their physical leader as they would conquer the promised land. Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, Bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found grace in my sight. Now therefore I pray, if I have found grace in your sight, show me now your way, that I may know you, and that I may find grace in your sight, and consider that this nation is your people. So Moses was asking for some kind of of presence or some kind of assurance from God that he is there with him and he will be there with the people. In verse 14, he said, my presence will go with you. God is saying that. Now, the pillar of clouds already before the tabernacle of meeting. And so that symbolizes God's presence there, basically with Moses while he was in that tabernacle, that tent. And so now God says, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. Then he said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not bring us up from here. Now God's already said, it's time for you to leave Mount Sinai. It's time to go and possess the promised land. And Moses is, is, is asking for an assurance. Please give me some sign that you are really there with us as we go to possess this land. And if you're not going to be with us all the way, then, then, then please don't make us leave here. Are we seeing a little bit of uh, ooh, maybe reluctance on Moses' part to just quickly and openly trust God when he says, go, I'm going to be with you? And so he's asking for some kind of, of, of assurance. Verse 16, for how then will it be known that your people and I have found grace in your sight, except you go with us? So we shall be separate, your people and I, from all the people who are upon the face of the earth. And, and, and this is a good principle we pick up from verse 16. First, people, well, we need to accept God's promise that I will be with you. I will watch over you. As long as you're walking faithfully with me. I will be your God. You shall be my people. Second Corinthians chapter six and right the last few verses of that chapter. We need to understand that Jesus promises, come to me and I will give you rest. I'll give you rest for your souls. I'll see you through. I'll be there watching over you, being there with you. We need to trust God that he will be with us and also, the people around us who are not faithful to God. Now, that's not just atheists. That's people who would say, I believe in God, but they're not walking with God. They're not following God. They need to see God's presence in us through the way that we live in faithfulness before God, in the way we live our lives. 
In verse 17, so the Lord said to Moses, I will also do this thing that you have spoken, for you have found grace in my sight, and I know you by name. And he said, please show me your glory. That is, Moses asked God to show him God's glory. Then he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But, he said, God said, but you cannot see my face, for no one, no man, shall see me and live. And so God is beyond us in glory. Now, in heaven, we will see God. We will see his presence before us in our midst. But here, as we live this earthly life, this physical reality, we don't see God in person. We see his evidence all around us, but we cannot see his face in, in, in reality while we're still living this physical life in this physical realm. For no man shall see me and live. And the Lord said, here is my place, uh, here is a place by me, and you shall stand on the rock. So it shall be while my glory passes by that I will put you in the cleft of the rock and will cover you with my hand while I pass by. Then I will take away my hand and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. No, oh, what a glorious sight even the back of God and his glory as he passed by Moses in the cleft of that rock. How what a glorious sight that must have been. And think about the personal touch and relationship of God. What does he say? I will put you in the cleft of the rock. I will cover you with my hand while I pass by. That personal relationship that we can have with God, that we can know, we can have confidence that he's right there with us, watching over us, taking care of us, blessing us, seeing us through as we walk in faithfulness before him. We'll pick up with chapter 34 next time. Let's pray. Father, you are all glorious and you deserve all praise and glory and admiration and thanks. There is no God but you. Sometimes we get distracted by things in this world. Help us to open our eyes and not let that happen. And people all over the world really, really need to come to you right now, Father. The world is in turmoil. And the way out of that turmoil is only through your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, as we come to you through him. Help people to see that deliverance, that resolution, we pray. And we pray for all those for whom we need to be praying for now in whatever their special needs might be, physical, health-wise, spiritual, whatever it might be, Father. We pray for them, and we pray for ourselves along these same lines. Please forgive us, gracious Father, 
and hear our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.